0: I view when it comes to the Orioles. This weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 5th, 2021. This is episode 312. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And this week's show, we'll look back at a surprising opening weekend for the Baltimore Orioles. We'll also look ahead to a home opening weekend. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this evening?
1: I will admit I have lubricated a bit for this show. Had a number of drinks of the week uh, today. Went out for a date uh, in the beautiful weather with uh, the missus after work today. Had myself a couple of IPAs. I'm going to say, beautiful weather, flying dog, bloodline IPA. That that was doing it for me today. So that is my official drink of the week.
0: Bloodline IPA. uh, Definitely got that little bit of an orange uh, hint to it, too. Uh, Jake, what I'm drinking this evening? Nothing. I'm not doing anything this evening. I'm waiting in anticipation for Thursday, so that we can see uh, what kind of drinks, what kind of cocktails can be had to celebrate the home opener, and of course, you know, being able to watch Jake drink his his baseball beer uh, in celebration. Ooh, ooh, Scotty, I have a confession to make. Did Did you drink
1: your baseball beer? There may not be a baseball beer this year. How is that possible? It got 2020. Look, I was five I was five months late on the bevvies. Everything was blown to hell with 2020. It turns out that there's no baseball beer. So, um so but Jake, it's worse than that. I've actually it's, got
0: I've got a tease for you too. So I'll let you finish, but uh I've got a surprise for you.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. I I'm really ashamed of the fact that I I discovered that there's no baseball beer because when my wife asked me about my baseball beer, my son looked in the beer fridge and said, dad, there's nothing here. There's no baseball beer. And it was at that moment that I realized, hmm, I have a a problem. Uh,
0: So Jake, uh, as you know, in SD Studios, we have, in essence, abandoned it. Um, Individuals have not been able to come and go to basically talk about uh, baseball in general within SD Studios, but... As you recall, there was a tiny little mini fridge, a little brown mini fridge, uh, that house beer, uh, and I was cleaning it out, moving around stuff to, you know, get get it, get it SD Studios back up and ready uh, for your triumphant return, uh, and I opened it up, and lo and behold, I came across a Michelob in there. Now, me as an individual, I don't buy Michelob, um, nor would I even think about buying Michelob, so immediately my thought came back to, well... Jake purchased a Michelob and put it in here. Why would he do that? And you know, obviously, it was your subconscious telling you, "Jake, you're going to screw up, so you need to store another beer somewhere else." And uh, we'll go from there. So, I don't know. I'm assuming that beer is pretty old. Um, and I also don't
1: know how good that Michelob is going to taste. But well, it didn't start out that good. And one can <laughs> one can only assume that a year later, not that good. Scotty, I can I can just say as with all other things baseball and not you're here to save me again
0: yeah so uh, we i may be able to provide you that Michelob on thursday um good luck with it that's all it goes, I'm going to say
1: <laughs> if you're looking to see what we're drinking day in and day out or for the drink of the week go ahead and join us on untapped i'm at jake e 4025 i'm at magn 8606 and with that
0: Let's go ahead and pull out the the ace bandages and uh, go ahead into the medical wing. All right. So leading off the medical wing, we've got to start with Austin Hayes, who, you know, in Sunday's blowout of the Red Sox, um, some some, you know, hamstring discomfort. Um, and the Orioles moved him to the 10-day IL today um, and brought up Brian McKenna to re- recall him or replace him. Um, you know, it didn't sound like it was super severe, but I think the Orioles are being cautious here. Um, and I also think, you know, with the small, you know, bench that they had, the Orioles pretty much had to make a move here, um, even if he's day-to-day. Um, Jake, any th- other thoughts specifically on Austin Hayes here?
1: Just a bummer. Just a bummer. I'm I'm tired of reading injury notes about Austin Hayes. Would love to see that guy just let loose, see what he can do at the major league level, but here we are again. I mean, you know, not to not to go further into the medical wing, but it reminds me of uh, Hunter Harvey. You know, another guy who we keep hoping to see at the major league level and just hasn't happened on the reg. So what's my response? It's a bummer.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a bummer. Um, We did talk about this before the season started. You know, this was going to be Austin Hayes chance. And we were going to see Kenny actually remain healthy for an entire season. Not a great way to start. Um, and again, I think we need to talk later in the episode specifically of um, what this does for the outfield depth, and then what the future plans are for outfield depth as it as it is. Uh, another individual now returning to the team was Sean Armstrong. Um, he went on to paternity list, being a new father. Um, you know, in essence, had his you know, his son. I believe it was on opening day. Um, was moved um, to the ten-day activated today. Um, after going through the COVID process and protocol. Um, and then Cole Sulcer was optioned to alternate site. Um, so yeah, I guess Sean Armstrong's back and, you know, he was welcomed, um, back to the club by, you know, Gino Carlo Stanton earlier this
1: evening. Yeah, he's, 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 going great so far from what I can tell. I mean, I haven't, I haven't looked at the game yet, but I assume he is just mowing down hitters left and right.
0: Yeah. Like I said, um, you know, I'm sure he's dealing with, um, you know, fatherly issues, as it were, that are coming about. So, uh, you know, congrats to Sean Armstrong. Welcome to the team. Um, you know, it's important to be with the mother and uh, the child as much as possible. Um, so, you know, if you you know, get designated for assignment or optioned in the very near future, um, you know, take it as a positive.
1: You know, I said this on the Twitters, and uh, and I mean it. This is my fault. When I referred to Sean Armstrong as new Mike Wright, I should have been more clear. I was referring to how we acquired him and not how I wanted him to pitch. That's on me. I apologize for the confusion.
0: Another individual that was mentioned in brief when Austin Hayes hurt his hamstring was DJ Stewart, who was also dealing with a hamstring um, issue. It looks like he may be available at some point um, at the end of this weekend. But again, it wasn't the right time to call him up um, and bring him onto the active roster. Um, But it's only a matter of time at this point. So, um, you know, just wait for that, I guess. um, And we'll see what happens with DJ Stewart. He's still alive. That's good to hear.
1: It's good to hear that he's still alive.
0: Still playing on those backfields in uh, in Sarasota. And uh, trust me, you know, he's on the team. No question about it. Uh,
1: Also still alive, Chris
0: Davis. No, lies. He's dead.
1: No, not true. He's not dead. He's still collecting a paycheck. Oh, you're right. Um, so he until is, my child is thirty.
0: So he's on sixty day DIL. D, uh, um, still a member of the active roster, um, but part of that sixty day IL. Um, when he comes back, like, what does this look like? Like, it it does he actually get a roster spot, or or the Orioles eventually just going to say enough is enough.
1: All right, Scott. So he's he's probably still in uh, Sarasota right now, right? Rehabbing, getting himself back up. The thing is, I think they're going to make him drive from Sarasota to Baltimore uh, with the hope that between Sarasota and Baltimore, there are enough potholes mm. that he will be able to be shifted to the Abaldo Jimenez list um, never to see the light of day.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they're going to do that, wouldn't it make sense then to activate him when they're on a West Coast trip to basically make sure that he's going from Sarasota to the West Coast? Because you're hitting Route 66 there, and there's a lot of potholes on Route 66.
1: It's true. It's musically accurate.
0: It is. Uh, and then uh, we talked about Hunter Harvey with the oblique. Um, again, 60-day DL. Earliest return is in May and June. You know, we 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 talked about Hunter Harvey earlier. Um you know, I think the Orioles are going to have to start moving on from Hunter Harvey and saying he may be something, but he's not going to be a pivotal portion of the bullpen um, going forward in this rebuild. Um, because, again, the health concerns are just too immense at this point.
1: You know what I think is weighing down his career at this point? His hair? The mullet. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think he's the anti Samson and he cuts his hair, and he comes back invincible. Uh, or he comes back even worse. <laughs> It's possible. All
0: right. I think that's it for the medical wing. Let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitter.
1: So Jake, I'll let you start off. All right. This week, we're going to go to a tweet from, Oh, let's, let's, let's start at the top here. Nick Pollock at pitcher list. John means change up his back 40% CSW across 15 thrown so far today with a nice little video of John means being awesome Scotty, what do you take all the lavish praise from the baseball world for John Means' first start?
0: Uh, I thought John Means had a a great first start. Um, I know a lot of people were looking at that velocity. Uh, I just thought he had a great movement, um, not so much in the vertical direction, but on the horizontal basis. Um, And, you know, it just, like I said, it was a really beautiful, um, you know, start for John Means. He picked up exactly where he left off um, in September and
1: maybe was slightly better. I, I really do think, though, that the changeup was the difference. It was a weapon. It was, it was a really fun thing to watch. But I wasn't the only one, right?
0: No, you're absolutely right. Um, you're, you're not the on, only one in that given regard. I just want to point out too that I, I love seeing you know CSW coming up, which is again called strike plus weight rate. Um, it's something that is a more of a newer age um, statistics that was developed um, over you know the past year or so and it actually came from alex fast um who actually put it together as well so um a good friend of the program is the best way to put it the other tweet i want to talk about too is pitching ninja put out a similar aspect in regards to john means um putting out a, like an overlay of the fastball and the changeup, and i think this is a really important standpoint in with like what rob freeman does with pitching ninja um where he in essence shows um, you know arm slot but also when the ball actually breaks uh, accordingly so you know we always look at this and say well why can't a hitter make that determination and in reality when it is breaking you know six feet in front of them or 10 feet in front of them and changing direction um, it's it's you know even more difficult to really have that split second interaction so uh, I, I think back to folks like adam jones were just like why can't he hit that ball well, it's a lot harder to hit that ball than than
1: many people, I think, give credit to. <laughs> Scott, I have a question for you. Feel free to tell me I'm crazy. You do it all the time. But is it my imagination that, and, and maybe it's the echo chamber of baseball Twitter that we're in, is there more attention to the art of pitching in the game today than there has been in the past? I, I feel like the thing that would have been used to sell the game would have been massive dingers in the past. But now, you know, through pitching ninja and other high profile social media accounts, we're seeing just filthy, disgusting pitching. And that's the thing that people are looking at as high art for major league baseball.
0: Yeah. I mean, I still think if we look at the generic, um, we'll call it old school um, social media accounts like MLB at ESPN I think you're still going to see a lot of those iterations of, like, um, a home run or, like, a defensive play. But I think there is more of this, maybe, like you said, um, Kavner's ravine of baseball Twitter, where you'll see these overlays and this kind of analysis being done. Um, And I think, you know, it's not a new thing. Like, Rob Freeman's been doing this for several years. But I agree with you that it's becoming such an art form that people are in essence looking for it now. Um, And then the availability for streams through MLB.TV and the ability to basically put together these overlays so quickly, um, I think really exemplifies the game is the best way to put it. Um, And it's certainly different. I mean, I remember when we started the podcast, um, setting up videos and or GIFs of Major League Baseball games was extremely frowned upon by MLB. So it's good to see MLB maybe being a little lax in approach. Um, I think even Rod Freeman was attacked. I shouldn't say attacked, but was asked kindly by MLB, hey, could you stop doing that? And then he, I think, got more of a blessing to go for and do it. Um, but I, I love to see this kind of content. It really exemplifies the the skill level that we are seeing at the Major League Baseball level um, and, and how difficult it is getting to um, be a hitter at the plate on a day and day basis.
1: I think that point you made about major league baseball, uh, embracing other people trying to sell its product is a big, is a big thing too.
0: Yeah. I mean, if if you're not going to get, if you're not going to pay them, like why not do it? It's, you know, something that the NBA has done a great job with. Um, it would make good business sense for, for major league baseball.
1: (laughs) All right, Scott, I want to say something that's going to make my, it's going to make me feel dirty. Um, All right, here we go. Good for the Yankees. What? Yeah, good, good, uh, good for the Yankees. This next tweet comes to us from the New York Yankees at Yankees. And it says, great to see you back in the ballpark at Trey Mancini. Uh, Flex emoji with a image of Trey Mancini in his Orioles uniform. which says, welcome back, Trey. Look, I have so many reasons to be hate filled for the New York Yankees and for them to do something so nice. So classy just gives me all the more reasons to hate him. Don't make me feel feelings, New York Yankees, but thanks, I guess.
0: Well, when he was introduced tonight, they actually played the whistle uh, when they were introducing him. So it worked out all the best from a classiness standpoint. No, you're absolutely right, Jake. Um, this was a really nice move by the Yankees organization. Um, and it's just a kind of a subtle tip of the cap. So, um, it's nice to see. Um, it's the best way to put it. Um, next week comes from Meg Rowley. You can follow her at Meg Roller. Um, uh, Meg is the uh editor of Fangraphs. Um, and Fangraphs has definitely come under attack. Um, by, uh, we'll call it certain, um, white male fans in their 40s to 50s um, that have come across this. This is kind of the new Pacoda. Um And it, it was interesting seeing uh, Fangraphs put out the Orioles' playoff chances and basically saying they had a 0% chance to make the playoffs this year. Um, 0.0. 0.0%, 0. 0. yeah. And every uh, kind of fan um, that doesn't understand the analytics lost their every mind and saying, well, every team has a chance. Where in reality... I think We can all look at the Baltimore Orioles and say, Yeah, except for the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but Meg pointed this out, um, just kind of as a, a, a kind of a joking aspect. Um, you know, when the Orioles went up 2 0, and even when they went to 3 0, um, the Orioles' playoff chances went from 0.0, 0, 0. 0 to 0. 0.1, and then as of the end of Sunday, they went to 0.2 percent in order to make the playoffs, um, accordingly. So, um yeah an upward trajectory um which I'm sure will be dashed um after this evening's game um but yeah, just you know a, a subtle nod from the fan graphs you know staff basically saying, all right yeah we we get it let's make let's make jokes um about us putting it at zero point zero percent
1: hey let's have fun with it absolutely all right, here's the next one for us uh this is a tweet from David Lorilla uh at David Lorilla QA replay review regarding player's possibly coming off the bag for an instant is and here's a poll good keep it or bad kill it this of course is a response to the play that took place in in boston where uh, an instance worth of disconnect from the bag resulted in an out scott i'll ask you replay review regarding player's possibly coming off the bag for an instant is Good, keep it, or bad, kill it.
0: I'm of the opinion it's bad, kill it. Um, And I I think um, we can always find split-second moments where it's like, well, I think this happened. I think that if you look at replay, it has to be um, such an obvious um, blown call that that is when you want to overturn it. But I don't want to look for something that's like, well, it could be, it couldn't be. At that point, I don't think there's a necessity for it. Um, so I'm bad for kill it. I don't want to see this kind of, well, he pops off for a 10th of a second there and the glove is on him. Um, you know, I kind of want to establish the, um, you know, the neighborhood rule as it were, um, uh, on the bag, um, when you're sliding in or sliding off it.
1: Yeah. I'll say that. I think that I usually come down on the side of, if we can get the call, right, we should get the call, right. But I also think that in a case like this, and again, this helped the Orioles. So let's just be clear. But I think in this instance, it was, all right, you are really getting into the nitpick territory. I feel like if it's gonna be an overturned call, that it should be egregious. Yeah. And and so for me, you know, that play again that helped the Orioles this past weekend. I think it was a bad call. I think it was a bad call from replay. Do I think that that play should be reviewable? Yes. Do we think that that particular call should have been overturned? No, that was a bad call. Yeah. It was a bad replay.
0: I think that's kind of the, so for our opinion, it's more of a, it doesn't fit into the spirit of what review is supposed to be used for. Um, and again, it, it has to be an egregious, um, error by the, by the umpire. Um, in both those instances, you know, I'd look at it and I say, you know, was the person out? Yes. Technically by the rules, that person was out, but, um, I don't really think it was necessary. And I think it kind of dampens the whole flow of the game, um, is the best way to put it. All right. Next tweet. Um, well, this one comes from friend of the show and listener to the show. Um, this, these next two tweets come from Godzilla. So JT Uh, We have seen uh, the comments that you've been putting out there asking for the Baltimoreans to come back and bless us with a nickname show Um, wholeheartedly endorse. I feel like when we're entering into a brand new season, uh, the first thing that our wives say is, when are the Baltimoreans going to do a nickname show? And we say, I don't know. And they say, well, those were the only good podcasters still left during Orioles content. So I guess we're not going to have a nickname show. But I did want to highlight a few that, you know, JT put out there um, that I think are appropriate names. So the first one is uh, a nickname for Matt Harvey. He is going with doormat, uh, which is either a hidden key to the rotation or teams will walk all over him. So I, I like doormat. I think that works out really well um, in terms of what this individual could be. Um,
1: any Any thoughts on this nickname, Jake? I I mean, I think it's OK, but I think that, uh, you know, I think that Matt Harvey already has an established nickname. Yes. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. And I think that we need to, um, you know, we need to play off of that. He is clearly not as good as he was when he was the Dark Knight. And so you have one of two ways to go from that. You can either lean into the comics or you can go uh, for the literal. And so I think that we should call him uh either dusk or dawn or from dusk to dawn right he's not the dark knight he's more like a he's more like a dusk at right. this
0: point that that's that's fair um and like i said i think that's a, a good good comment uh the other one that um i, I really like and i think it's a one that I, I think we we can work with is i also submit that dylan tate is dill for short so he should henceforth be known as pickle's pub i think this one's close jt but I think if we're going to go with it, his name's got to be Pickle, as opposed to Pickle's Pub. Um, so I think if he's coming out to the mountain, you just go like, come on, Pickle, get it together.
1: Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm down for it. Yeah. And again, He
0: also looks like he ate like a thousand pickles, too. So it works out really well.
1: <laughs> All right. I think the, the real question, though, the real debate that we have to have is about uh, Bruce Zimmerman. Yeah. Right? And so uh, Guad's had a, a, you know, a perfectly fine recommendation, which was to refer to Zimmerman as Invader Zim, um, which, you know, I, it's fine. It's good. I like it. Uh, but I want to go back to the Baltimoreans. And, you know, when I think about the Baltimoreans and their nicknames, one of the the key nicknames that I go back to is Beans. Yep. Right. Um, and so it's gotta be simple. It's gotta be quick. It's gotta be evocative like that. And so I think Zimmerman should be bread, right? Which is a reference to hometown bread, uh, an Orioles advertising staple, and he's a hometown kid. I think he's gotta be bread.
0: So it just, he's a staple and, uh, you know, it's the kind of stuff that your grandmother would serve you. Absolutely. OK, like I can I can see bread. So, you know, folks, I, I think we need this community interaction as it relates to nicknames. We need to put some sense of um, standards behind each of the players that are coming forth. And I, I think we're at the right time um, of our precipice on our journey as it relates to Orioles baseball. There are going to be members of this team that are going to be here uh, for years to come during the rebuild, but also during some more you know, positive years as they approach, you know, wild card territory. So I think we need to start in essence identifying them with a given identity. Um, no matter how ridiculous this is. So be thinking about that. And uh Sam and Allen, please come out of retirement. Um we all beg you.
1: We are amateurs at this. Come do this better. Absolutely.
0: Well, with that, um, let's go ahead and jump right into this past weekend, and let's go around the bases and try to figure out what exactly is going on with the Baltimore Orioles, um, and try to figure out what does the future hold? (music)
1: Scotty let's go ahead and go around the bases for what was a fantastic opening weekend I'm going to start at first base and Scott I'm going to ask you was what we saw real or was it a mirage so let's uh let's take this a little bit at a time Scott real or mirage the Orioles start off three and oh for the season
0: I'm gonna go with real um you know they played really good baseball um for those three games um, and in all honesty, I looked at the Red Sox and just even listening to their lineup, I was left with a kind of a, a meh, um uh, feeling. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm all on board that when I look at the Orioles and I look at the Red Sox, I don't really think the Red Sox are that much better of a team than the Baltimore Orioles are at this given time.
1: So 162 and nothing, right?
0: I'm I'm not saying 162 or nothing, but what I would say is, it doesn't surprise me that the Orioles did really well against the Red Sox. Um, and it's not going to surprise me if the Orioles go ahead and get swept by the New York Yankees uh, in this upcoming series.
1: <laughs> All right, is it a good sign that we get to see those same Boston Red Sox for the home opener?
0: Uh, I think so. Um, you know, I I think. You know, like I said, I'm not a, not a huge fan. I'm just walking through the lineup and even the pitching woes um, that the Red Sox continue to have. Um, but I do think there was a little bit of that real um, basis. And we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show with John Means' dominant start. Um, and again, that was a precursor back to some of the, um, you know, work that he put in last September. But I was kind of, I don't know, it was intrigued is the best way to put it in terms of the entire series John Means started off, but I'd even say that, you know, looking at Matt Harvey and Bruce Zimmerman, I saw a lot of, you know, games where the Orioles managed their walks um, and and basically kept, you know, not going to full counts. Um, And it felt like they were very quick innings, Um, you know, probably due to the Red Sox not hitting at all during that series. But it was almost weird to be like listening to an Orioles pitcher come out and then within we'll call it eight to ten minutes the inning being over and you're just like, wait a second, that, that went way too quickly. Like what just happened here? Um, so it was, it was refreshing is the best way to put it. I would say from a pitching standpoint.
1: Right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of those, uh, aspects of the pitching. You, you brought them up. So I'm going to go there. John means dominant start real or mirage
0: real. I mean, uh, you look at that CSW that we were talking about before, um, extremely high. Um, And, you know, I think there's going to be certain games that John means doesn't have that change of movement, but if he does, he's going to be really good. Um, really, really good. Um, so great to see. Um, and you know, I think John means is definitely real. No question about it.
1: All right. Matt Harvey dusk, if you will, um, had what I would generously call an uneven start. Um, the The radio broadcast, and I listened to the radio that day, the radio broadcast went out of their way to talk about all the great things that he did in those 4.2 uh, innings, but didn't really talk about the fact that he, he left the bullpen out to dry. So I'm going to call it uneven. What do you think? Real or mirage as far as we'll call it good enough start?
0: Uh, I mean, I thought it was actually a good start. I mean, I understand where you are coming from. Where it's four and two thirds, but it is also one of the first starts of the season. I mean, you know, none of these pitchers are at the point where they should be throwing 100, 120 pitches. Um, so, I am okay with Matt Harvey just going out there and you know getting through it briefly, and then the Orioles calling on a long man and. To, to a certain regard, it also comes back to John Means also let the Orioles do that by going deep into the game, the first game. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And I also don't think you should be overworking Matt Harvey um, that much to begin the season. If your goal is to basically try to get as many innings out of Matt Harvey through this entire season, I think you're going to see a lot of starts for Matt Harvey being five innings or six innings, and that's it. Um, so I was actually really encouraged by Matt Harvey's start, um, maybe more so than you were.
1: And if you've got a Plutko or, you know, maybe one of the Rule 5 guys behind him designated to be, you know, the guy that that kind of goes in and gives you length after a Harvey, you know, maybe that doesn't kill you. Yeah, and like I said, you know, if we get to
0: June and he's still only throwing four or five innings, then that's a bigger issue at hand. Um, but for the first game, I probably wouldn't have sent him out there past that those five innings pitch. So... Um, I'm okay with it. Uh, I think it made total sense. Um, yeah, I, I had I was very encouraged by Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey started uh, is exactly what I wanted to see. So Matt
1: Harvey having a good start. You say real, not Mirage.
0: I say real at this given point. Um, I want to see more. Um, but you know, all things considering, I would not have expected Matt Harvey to be that good,
1: uh, when we signed him to a minor league deal. So I'm going to go with real. All right. Next I've got Cesar Valdez. Scary but effective, real or Mirage?
0: Um, I'm going to go with Mirage. And the only reason I say Mirage is because um, it his pitches look like Mirage. He's basically throwing 85 miles uh, up there of just some dead fish um, that just kind of hit the ground. So I feel like Cesar feel like whole arsenal is Mirage. And the fact that he's 36 years old and made his Major League Baseball debut – it, Cesar Valdez is weird, is the best way to put it. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with it, but it's I think it's a mirage.
1: So he's more Exxon Valdez than Cesar Valdez.
0: Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with Mirage. Uh, and like I said, I like the story. I like some of the pitches that he threw out there. I just don't see how it can last an entire season.
1: <laughs> I hear you. All right, let's go back to the starting pitching. Bruce Zimmerman gives us a quality start. Good old bread. Uh, quality starts from Bruce Zimmerman, real or Mirage?
0: Um, I, I'm going to go with Mirage on, as well on this one. You know, Zimmerman's stuff was okay, but I think he got a really nice break there to go against a Red Sox team that is reeling. Um, I think that if he would have gone against a, a more higher-quality caliber team, um, he would have gotten knocked around. He was leaving a lot of balls um, where he probably shouldn't be. So I, I'm glad that he had success. Um, but I don't think it's something that would translate very well over a long season. So I'm going to go with Mirage. Um, and again, I think you know, look, you look at Bruce Zimmerman; he's a fifth starter at best. Um, I think he put out that quality of being a fifth starter at best uh, on Sunday's game.
1: All right, uh, Scotty, the 14-man pitching rotation versus 13, real or Mirage? Do you think this is the way it's going to go the rest of the season? No,
0: I mean we we talked about this in terms of. Um, you know, opening day rosters. We talked about this on the Locked On Orioles podcast. This is going to be a fluid movement, um, and you know, it's there's there's going to be a constant shuffling going about. Um, we'll even see how long Bruce Zimmerman lasts in the rotation. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly expecting a a massive changeover in the pitching staff um, as we progress through the entire season. Um, including, there's no chance they get through 14 uh, pitchers the entire season. It'll quickly go to 13 um, when they need another additional bench spot.
1: Oh, see, I disagree. I think the 14-man pitching staff is here to stay because the the weaker of the two between the uh, pitching and the and the uh, the hitters is going to be the pitching. So yeah. that, that's just my that's just my opinion. Hey, I,
0: I, I'm going with that. There will be a 13-man pitching staff by the end of April.
1: All right. All right. Bold move, Scotty. Bold move. All right. Last last note from the pitching. Uh, Real or Mirage, this roster can hide two Rule 5 guys for the entire season. Real. Um,
0: I think ultimately you're going to enter into a lot of games where you just need to have an arm to throw out there to basically suck up innings. Um, so, yeah, I think the Orgos can throw out two Rule 5 guys um, and suck up suck, suck up innings to basically say – it's non-competitive baseball just go out there you know um if dr poo poo can do it um certainly two rule five guys can do it as well
1: so you're saying if you're up 11 to three it'd be a good time to pitch a rule five guy or if you were oh i don't know down seven to nothing
0: yeah i would definitely be uh, throwing someone in there and saying, go give me two innings and see what happens
1: all right i uh i think that you're wise scott magnus i think you're wise Uh, Let's talk about defense. Uh, Rio Ruiz, capable second baseman, Real or Mirage?
0: Mirage. Um, You know, he definitely had some nice plays in that Boston series, but I I just don't see how it can last an entire season. Um, I did want to go through and take a look at some of the first step momentum. You know, he made some really nice plays in the hole, um, but I I I don't think this translates well over an entire season. So, yes, it was nice to see Rio Ruiz flash the glove, but I don't think this lasts much longer.
1: But but Scott, he he was a he was a QB in high school. He's an athlete. He's a natural athlete, Scott. Don't you know these things? And you played badminton intramurals
0: at American University. That doesn't mean that uh, you.
1: First of all, sir, how dare you? I fenced <laughs> as a as a club sport at American University. Thank you. Isn't very much.
0: fencing and badminton pretty much the same thing?
1: No, badminton is nowhere near as white as fencing. Is. Okay, gotcha. Uh, defensive uh, notes here. Uh, Trey Mancini said that he was a little rusty at first base in, coming in the spring training uh, because he had not only not been in baseball, but not been back to first base. Do you think that the rust on Trey Mancini at first is real or a mirage? I think it's partially real. Um,
0: but I don't think it's that big of a deal, all, all things considering. So I think Trey will get up to speed really quickly. Um, and I honestly feel like um, this will be a non-story in another week.
1: All right, fair enough. Let's move on to the offense. Um, Rio Ruiz again, slow start at the plate. Real or mirage? Um, I mean, he's posting
0: a 42 weighted runs created plus right now. I can't imagine that it's going to be that low. If it is, I would assume that he's designated for assignment pretty quickly. Um, so I'm gonna go with Mirage here. I think the big question is he's got to really take off. Um, you know, he's got to be hosted, you know, a hundred, 120 waiter unscredit plus or, or, you know, in, in essence, I don't see what his role is on this club going forward. Um, so I don't think it's, he's as bad as he has been. Um, but I feel like time is against rear worries at this point.
1: All right. Um, here's one. Cedric Mullins is an absolute superhero Real on, or mirage
0: dudes on fire right now. Um, and you know, him walking away from switch hitting and even hitting lefty on lefty. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a mirage just looking at his numbers. His BAPIP was seven fifty. Um, but man, oh, p-
1: people don't stay at a seven fifty
0: 50. You don't, but I mean, you have to tip the cap to, him. I mean, even his plate approach has been really nice. Um, so what I would say is, um I think Cedric Mullins is obviously going to come back to earth. Uh, there's no question about that, but it's great to see Cedric Mullins um you know, in essence reinvent himself and turn into the ball player that he is today um and like I said, he's not gonna be this good but if he if he could be a hundred and ten hundred and twenty radio runs created plus player, oh my gosh, like that would be amazing like I would be a, so, I would be so giddy'd be yeah. I'd be so happy because, I mean, great defensive outfielder as well. Um, and again, if he can be, you know, slightly above average um, from an offensive basis, oh, my gosh. I mean, I would be tickled pink As the best way to put it.
1: And I know that this doesn't pay and it doesn't matter, but a great dude. Just a really, yeah. really, really nice guy. Uh, very easy to root for, and you know, we've talked about it on Twitter. Watching him bring his career to the point where you were ready to leave him up for dead, to the point where we're talking about him performing well. What a fun! You know, baseball is about storytelling. That's and a, this is the thing. It's a this cra- is the thing that we get up for.
0: Yeah, it's a crazy story. I mean, you just think about it. Like he is um, asked by Adam Jones to basically lead the team onto the field when Jones is sat down. He comes back the next year as pretty much the definitive center fielder and is absolutely horrible. Um, and then the Orioles have to scramble. He comes back and, you know, goes to the minors for an entire season. He to
1: double a, he yeah, got to, to, double, to a. A, double a, exactly.
0: I mean, at that point when he got to double a, I was like, nah, he's done. Um, and you know, he took, um, continued advice from the organization and continued to refine his game. And, in essence, also shook it up, too. I mean, to go from being a switch hitter saying, nope, I'm no longer going to do that, and basically took the club's advice, you know, I come back and I think to someone like Chris Davis, who, you know, has been given an immense amount of chances by the organization that has to do different things every single time, and there's a stubbornness, I feel like, on that given regard, um, where Cedric Mullins has, in essence, embraced the more analytic mindset and just said, you tell me what I, what I need to do, and I'm just going to go out and try it, um, just to see what happens, um, because I, that's the only way I'm going to stay on this club. Um, it's, it's a really good story, um, for the Elias and Medel, uh, regime. Um, if he turns into something. Yeah. Well,
1: uh a hundred percent cosine all that. All right. That's uh, that's probably all, the only thing that I really wanted to know from, uh, from a standpoint of, is it real or is it not? We're dealing with a small sample size here, right? Just three games plus whatever it is that they're calling this thing that's happening in New York right now. Uh, but I think that's something we should check ourselves on uh, as the season continues. Is this real? Or, you know, is this just us getting caught up in the emotions of now? Obviously, the longer the series goes on, or the the season goes on, the the easier it'll be. But real a mirage. Maybe we'll revisit this. Scotty, let's go on to second base. And I want to talk about uh, Anthony Santandar. Um, We're calling second base trades in the outfield. Rock noted today that uh, other teams are scouting uh, Santander. I I guess I have a couple of questions about that. First and foremost, let's just cut to the chase. Yes or no. Should the Orioles move Santander?
0: Um, I'm not inclined to want to trade Santander immediately. Um, I mean, 26 years old, there would have to be something really good coming back from it. Um, for, for me want to do it. So like for me, it would have to be a top 10 prospect, for me to say yes i feel happy about this um but there is a plethora of outfield um available options at this given time in the Orioles organization so eventually you've kind of got to say we eventually have to move on um is the best way to put it so um you know we talked about it though earlier like austin hayes continues to get injured and injured so it does open up that spot of like well if Austin Hayes is not going to be on the team on a long term basis because of injury concerns, do you need someone like Anthony Santander to basically field up in a corner outfield position? And I'm not necessarily sure you do um, with Usenel Diaz, um, Kerstad as well, um, in the future as well. But like I said, in order to make the move right now, um, in this season, I feel like you have to get a top ten prospect for Santander. If it's anything less than that, I think you just keep moving forward with Santander and seeing what he can make
1: of, you know, significant playing time. The decision that's made trade him or don't trade him. Do you think that has anything? Do you think it says anything about the rebuild where we are? Or do you think it's just a matter of we did, or we didn't get the right offer?
0: I, I feel like it's more just did, or we did not get the the right offer. I mean, there were rumors of this even during the off season where the Braves were looking at him. So I think the Orioles with any player right now in the organization um, and I I hate to say it, but I think that even includes someone like Trey Mancini who I think would be really tough for the Orioles to trade uh, from a PR basis. Um, I I think everybody has a value associated with them um, and everybody is available for trade with the right offer. Um, I can't think of a single player that is untradeable at this given point.
1: All right. Um, do you have any different feels and should the organization have any different feels about Santander because he's a rule five guy versus a guy that they drafted and developed themselves? Meaning is it more difficult to part with that guy because, you know, or is it easier to part with him because he's a rule five guy rather than something that they built?
0: Yeah. It's somebody else is, um, you know, aspect they put together i still feel like you know elias and Medell have a little bit of workings with santander um in terms of some of the development um aspects but i do think it might be a little bit easier for them um, because it wasn't part of their maybe their vision um, and maybe they can look at saying hey we drafted and acquired other individuals to fill that outfold role um you know santander is definitely a talent Um, but we're going to take the plethora of riches that we potentially have in the outfield in order to go get some additional, um, you know, value in other positions. And I think, you know, Elias has mentioned that of like, we're going to draft the best players and go trade it for the best players um, in a shotgun approach. And if we have too many players in one position, then we'll trade it away. I feel like Santander may be the first player that in essence fits into that mold. Um, But like I said, I think it's a good problem to have, Um, you know, Folks are always going to be interested in talented players.
1: All right. Um, Yes or no, straight up or down, do you think Santander makes it through the season as an Oriole? I do not. I think someone takes
0: uh, a chance on him, um, and the Orioles do trade Santander um, at some point this season.
1: All right. I'm going to come down on the other side of that. I think that Santander will remain an Oriole for the remainder of the season. I don't think that anybody's going to pony up what Elias will want to get out of him.
0: Well, your name is English, so Santander is your biggest uh, biggest favorite player, so no question yeah, about I'm, it. Yeah,
1: I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I, I am the Boy Scout You're about of to say, this you, organization. you
0: literally are in the Boy Scouts, and your last name is English, so yes, there is no question in my mind uh, who you are a big fan of. <laughs> All right, going to third base. Um, I'd like to buy the world of Coke. Just don't serve it to someone in the line of the election. Um, MLB has announced it is pulling the All Star Game from Georgia. Um, you know, due to the recent and in uh, in uh you know passing of a, uh, we'll call it a a a bill um to preserve the sanctity of elections going forward, so that I don't get too politically uh, correct or incorrect. Free yourself
1: of your naivete. Uh, Scott. Free, freeing myself <laughs> of my
0: naivete. Um, I mean, Jake, we saw a bunch of organizations kind of come out of this, but I was a little surprised that MLB, um, in their conservative nature, you know, jumped right to the forefront and said
1: we're willing to take this on. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was super surprised by the move because, regardless of how you feel about uh, the law that was passed in Georgia regardless of how you feel about Major League Baseball's response to that. What I find interesting is that Major League Baseball, a $10 billion industry, uh, determined that the, the potential financial losses of moving the All-Star game was, was less than the potential financial losses of being, being even passingly associated with Georgia In the wake of this action by its legislature, this was an absolute dollars and cents decision made by a business saying my brand could be hurt by this rather than just going the status quo. So again, regardless of whether or not you feel it's the right, wrong and different, I was very surprised that major league baseball took the action because it would be one thing to to say, oh, Major League Baseball took this action because of how they feel and their values and the things they care about. But you know, that's not the case. The reason they did this is because they thought they would lose less money by taking action than the money they would lose by, by taking no action. And that, to me, that calculus is far more interesting. I
0: agree with you. I think that's the the more interesting basis here. And You know, it's surprising because we always talk about Major League Baseball um, being targeted to um, an older, whiter crowd. Um, And obviously, we know that that older, whiter crowd um, is not going to be very fond of this kind of decision by Major League Baseball to take this stand. So it's interesting that Major League Baseball said it makes a lot more sense from a business standpoint for us to make this move. Um, And it's interesting to see who is the audience and population they're reaching out to. Um, And who are they trying to instill brand popularity or brand trust with and who they, in essence, don't really care about going forward as well. Um, So it's an interesting, interesting notion, even coming back to like we talked about earlier in the show, um, allowing certain social media accounts um, to go out there and, um, you know, distribute their content without the express written consent.
1: Well, Scott, I mean, that will clearly seal the deal for a lot of fans. No
0: doubt about it. I mean, we're going to see, we saw a ton of copy pasta, um, after this occurred. So, (laughs) um, and especially on Facebook, I mean, it was very impressive, but, you know, I think the, the most interesting thing, you know, that came out of it from a local slash Orioles basis, um, was obviously news coming out, uh, from various individuals. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that Mayor Brandon Scott from Baltimore put out there, Hey, MLB, here in Baltimore, we strongly support voting rights as do our beloved Orioles. We'd love to host the All-Star Game at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, the ballpark that inspired them all. Remember how great it was last time, and there was a post back to a video uh, with Ken Griffey Jr. at the Home Run Derby, and it came out today that the Orioles have petitioned Major League Baseball um, to potentially host the All-Star Game for the 2021 season um, and and basically have submitted a proposal to them. Um, Just a really interesting... Um, you know, turn of events. Um, and I think it's really intriguing as well that the Orioles, um, I wouldn't say in conjunction, but I would so assume both parties are talking with the mayor of Baltimore, and the Baltimore Orioles, um, are having this conversation and and proposing it to Major League Baseball. Um, and I think this is a really interesting standpoint. I can't think of a a time in the past during the Peter Angelus regime where we saw local government and the Orioles, in essence, coming out and making a stand such as this. Um, This is the first interaction, of, I think, of politics in Baltimore and the Orioles intermixing in a more dynamic manner.
1: Uh, Question for you. Yeah. Are the Baltimore Orioles still on Major League Baseball's naughty list because of nationals and mass and money? It's it's tough for me to say honestly
0: like a, a part of me wants to say yes because it hasn't been solved yet um but i feel also like too like the whole tv situation right now is is a weird 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 position so i think if the if there is a local government and a, an organization that are willing to put themselves out there um, Major League Baseball may jump on it because, in essence, it requires them to do a lot less work in order to convince someone to pay out the money um, that is required to basically host the All-Star game.
1: I don't want to go all fan graphs on you, but there is 0.0, 0 chance that the All-Star <laughs> game is going to come here. I think that the Orioles and Major League Baseball are locked in a in a uh, death throws of a of a contest over whether or not they're gonna pay the Nationals more money. And until that is resolved to Major League Baseball's satisfaction, Major League Baseball will continue to hold the only stick that they've got over the Orioles, which is the fact that your beautiful ballpark will never again host the All-Star game. There's no reason that it hasn't happened up until this point There's no logical reason that it hasn't happened up to this point, except for the fact that the Orioles are being punished. And until that is no longer the case, 0.0.
0: And I hear you, and I I understand exactly where you're coming from. I'm a little bit more optimistic, specifically on the basis of what you said before, which is dollars and cents. And I agree with you that the Masson standpoint still is a dollar and cents basis. But I think for an immediate action standpoint, um, it's really easy for Major League Baseball to just transition it over into an organization in the city if all parties are willing. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what other other cities and teams um, come up with in order to make the compromise and say, hey, we're willing to do this as well um, and seeing if there's a better fit. But Baltimore makes a ton of sense from, um, you know exactly what Brandon Scott just said um, in this regard. It'd be a great aspect back to um, you know, some of the the issues with Black Lives Matter um, a, a, in regards to, you know, Freddie Gray, I, I think, you know, if MLB wanted to make um, a platform, um, then it's a really interesting location um, for them to host it. And like I said, I think there might be other um, stadiums out there as well. Um, but I think Baltimore is probably in my top five of really interesting locations to host a, an all star game. And that's not me being biased right. as a Baltimore fan. That is me just thinking about it from a from a business standpoint as a as a billion dollar industry that is baseball.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. But that's that's now your
0: zero point zero percent chance. I'm at probably like twenty percent. So like not great odds, but much higher than twenty than zero percent. I'm at like okay. Red Sox playoff odds. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and slide into home. Scotty, let's talk the home opener. Yeah. Uh I think it's gonna be weird. Uh, but I think even weirder is when the Orioles start the season away. You know, we just talked about the fact that Major League Baseball is uh screwing themselves by by failing to have the uh fall classic in in the the stadium the change, forever changed baseball. But it is weird to me when they waste Camden Yards as an opening day setting. Now, obviously, you can't argue Fenway. I've been to Fenway. I love Fenway. I think it's a great park. But anytime... Everyone just
0: flip that and just say, this is the reason why I don't listen to this podcast.
1: Anytime Camden Yards stays, uh, sits empty on baseball's opening day just doesn't make sense. So it's weird when you don't have opening day at Camden Yards but but I will say that the only good thing and it's thin here the only good thing about starting on the road is it gives us fans the opportunity to celebrate opening day twice right cuz there's that buzz on the first day of the season you're distracted at work you've got a pep in your step you're a, you know you're smiling all the way through the day and then to be able to do that again on the home opener when the city is just, you know, a buzz, the state, the, you know, the entirety of Birdland is celebrating and, and all a tingle. That's the only good thing that comes out of this, right?
0: I, I would agree with you about that. Um, that. That is pretty much the only good thing that, that comes out of it, um, all things considered.
1: But that's not the only thing that's going to be weird. I mean, here we are. It's going to be opening day. Uh, it's going to be a little weird for the fans in the stands, right? They're going to have a different experience. First of all, there are only going to be 11,000 people in the stands, and that's by design, not because it's, you know, Baltimore in, uh, in August. Um, so it's going to be weird uh, to have you know, next to nobody there. But I got to be honest, um, for the people that are there, and I would argue as a, as a television viewer so far, it's so much better this way. Than it was when all the stadiums were empty, right?
0: I, I agree with that. I mean, just even listening to the Red Sox series, there was just a subtle ambiance. Uh, even with the the shouting fan from center field, it just Dude. felt like it felt like more like realistic baseball. And like I guess I think I think Major League Baseball as a whole did a really great job with trying to simulate that with you know piped in crowd noise. But there's just something different with that kind of subtle staticky noise. Uh, of the fans, like kind of talking in the stands, that it makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, again, I can't wait until society deserves to have full ballparks. But until then, having you know even a quarter of fans is is so much better. But uh, it's not just that. I, I think it'll be weird for fans outside of the ballpark experience. And, and what I mean by that is you can't just go to your local bar and hang out, you know, there are still restrictions there where, uh, you know, people are at, are at less than full capacity. Do you think it'll be weird in the city? Because usually, you know, like we drive down from Harford County and we, you know, hang out starting in the morning and all the way until game day and the city is packed and everywhere we go, they're just people and it's a sea of orange and it's the one day where just the city is alive with love for the Orioles do you think that it'll be dampened at all because there will be restrictions put on the populace at large outside the stadium?
0: I do. um, I do think it's going to be dampened. I mean, first of all, you'll have, you know, you'll have 11,000 people there as opposed to 40,000. So that immediately cuts down some of the population, but I just feel like on a whole, it's going to be dampened. Um, So yes, I, I think that it's going to be on the outside. I think it's going to be much more similar to a typical game. Um, than then an opening day festivity. Um, and I think there'll be certain popular spots. I think pickles will be booming, um, like COVID never existed. Um, you know, I think Jimmy's Famous Seafood will have, you know, a great celebration before the game and will, you know, you know shuttle people down to the stadium. But I think the ambiance of the entire city kind
1: of buzzing is not going to be there, Jake. Yeah. And, and it's, mm, I, I will say this I think that it is. <laughs> good that this is happening when the Orioles are bad. Can you imagine if the Orioles were good right now and people couldn't get into Opening Day? Can you imagine if it if the Orioles were good right now and people couldn't gather at their local bar or find some event to go to? You know, be more around town, what have you? Can you imagine if the Orioles were were worth you know being with other fans about right now and we couldn't?
0: I think people would get creative in order to still watch that game um, and have it be in a more public area, similar to what we saw uh, this year with the Ravens um, where there still was that kind of public outcry to re- and support the team. Uh, it would just take on a, a different notion. So um, like I said, Baltimore fans are very creative um, when the teams are really good. Um, fortunately, we don't have to worry about that at this given season for the Baltimore Orioles, but You're right. It's going to take on uh, a different light outside the stadium. But I'd say this, Jake, when we enter into that stadium, when we sit down and watch the game, I don't care what it is like outside the stadium in terms of the ambiance and stuff like that. I am instantly going to be transported back into uh, my happiness is the best way to describe it. I mean, it will be no different than before pre-COVID. I'll sit down there, sit in seats you know, sit with you, sit with our wives, I'm going to grab myself a beer, and I am just going to enjoy um, the aspect of the nostalgia and the memories just wafting over me, um, and just sitting in an area that I feel comfortable. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited um, in, in regards to that ambiance. I think it'll be the first sense of normalcy that I will have felt in um, well over a year, Um, And I'm really looking forward to it on Thursday.
1: Yeah, I mean, COVID aside, anytime I walk into the ballpark, I feel like I'm eight years old. I expect that it'll be, you know, even more powerful, like you said, because we haven't been there in so long because we haven't been able to, to be there in so long. And I think it'll be like that from opening day all throughout, you know, gosh, I hope that at some point during the season, you know, restrictions start to come off because again, society deserves it. Um, and both the city and the state feel that it's safe to open more and more of the stadium. And that eventually by the end of the stadium, the end of the season, you know, we're looking at, at the possibility of packed crowds at came yards. Gosh, I hope that's the case. But But even if it's, you know, going to be a season's worth of, you know, 11,000 people in the stands, uh, you know, that's 11,000 people at a time that are going to be able to get in there and feel like they're eight years old again. Um, and if you can't, if you can't get that way because of baseball, um then right now you know <laughs> you you don't deserve to show up at the park i completely uh, agree with you
0: about that if, if you're going to this game just to socialize and and not watch the game you really shouldn't be there um and that's a completely different argument that we've made in in seasons past being like just go to the baseball game and support this team um but there's going to be a special kind of um you know just you know, nostalgia I think is the best way to put it and like I said you, you're absolutely right it just it's gonna transport you back um, to um, better times childhood I'm um, just really good memories um, you know c- c- bringing this whole thing to a close um, do you remember that idiot that said um, there's like a 20% chance that the orioles would maybe host the all-star game
1: I I do remember
0: hearing that so while we were talking about that um, major League Baseball on uh, you know, put it out through some of their folks, aka Buster Olney, um, that Colorado Course Field is expected to be the site of the 2021 All-Star Game. (laughs) Um, So yeah, obviously, you know, um, whoever said that the Orioles had a 20% chance, um, they were an idiot. Um, And whoever said (laughs) they had a 0% chance um, was very smart. And we'll just go with that.
1: It doesn't happen often, but I'll take the (laughs) win this time. All right. That's our trip around the bases. It ends with me scoring the, uh, the, uh, the ability to be right on a pass ball, wild pitch. (laughs) No, I I
0: I, I think that's it for, for right now. Like I said, um, you know, it was a fun weekend. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season transpires, but I would also come back and say, and I said this last season when the Orioles started off, well, Savor those moments when the Orioles are playing really good baseball. They're going to be few and far between. And it's nice to do it um, against such a, an, a great and classy organization such as the Red Sox and, and Fenway Nation. Um, and um, I'll just leave it at that. Um, well, with that, um, you know, let's talk about that aspect of this past weekend and some of the things that we saw. And we'll kick off the 2021 season with the first good the bad and the ugly.
1: I am so excited. I'm so excited. We're back to the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a staple of our show. We obviously can't do much within it in the offseason or in spring training. I will say that this week is, is going to be a little rough because it is the smallest of the small sample sizes that we have to work with. But there were real games this week, and so we're going to do this. Let's go ahead. I'll get started first. Uh, I always go first because the... Uh, quality of scott magnus's rants for the ugly exceed the quality of my own i'm going to start with the good and you know we we possibly may disagree on this because we talked a little bit about it earlier in the season but or in the show but my good for this week was bruce zimmerman of all the pitching that we saw this past weekend um i was most excited about zimmerman because Yes, it's one start, and yes, it's just the Red Sox, and they're not exactly the cream of the crop as far as competition is concerned. But if we can get a Major League Baseball-quality starter, even if it's a back-end starter, out of Bruce Zimmerman, then the rest of the rotation of the future looks so much better from there because we hope that John Means will be something. You know, maybe not not, not an ace, but something. We hope that between... Aiken and and Kramer will have something. We hope that DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez come up to dominate the AL East. But if we have Zimmerman holding down, even just a fifth spot, we're in such a better position. And so I watched Bruce Zimmerman pitch, and it wasn't just that he was you know okay that he gave a quality start, three runs over six innings. It was the fact that he was really efficient through that process and got himself to 73 pitches over that six inning pitches. And, and it was even more absurd through four, like it was like 50 pitches or something like that uh, through four, four innings. So when I look at Bruce Zimmerman, I look at the the possibility, right? He'll never be excellent, but if he can be pretty good or kind of good, that is a huge coup for the Orioles. And that's something that I'm going to be watching every fifth day. And at least for the first time around, it was good.
0: Yeah, you're right, Jake. I mean, the the pitch um, repertoire, and I mentioned this earlier in terms of starting pitcher, you know, really efficient. And Bruce armstrong had, had several 10-pitch uh, innings, um, which is really encouraging to see. It almost reminded me from like a major league debut of when Mike Wright went against the Angels and absolutely dominated <laughs> them. And, and obviously, we know Mike Wright turned into a phenomenal uh, major league
1: baseball starter. So you're not wrong, <laughs> you are not wrong. Or, or like a david hess right? absolutely
0: a david hess exactly just you know it just you know a signs oh. of of glory to come is the best way to describe it scott magnus why do you have to be the way that you are um my good for the weekend was um you know i really didn't turn the tv on to watch the baseball game you know i watched clips uh but i just sat down and listened on the radio to, to kevin brown um and just was um again just kind of taken back to the aspect of the lore of baseball. I think Kevin did a great job. Um, I think that he um, did a really good job of bringing in segues. You know, someone had pointed out that, you know, MLB or baseball announcers, especially those that are on the radio are like individuals that have podcasts for three hours. And uh, certainly listening to Kevin Brown, I get that kind of feel for Kevin Brown being a podcaster. Um, So there is a, a, a a fondness in my heart for um, some of the segues that Kevin Brown puts in there. So that was my good for the weekend Listening to Oreo's baseball uh, with an honorable mention to, um, you know, the obvious, which is Trey Mancini is, is the good, is, is the obvious good. Um, and he's going to be the obvious good for the rest of the season. Certainly did not have a lot of, you know, great, um, you know, plate appearances in the first two games, but going five for five on that Sunday game, uh, all the feels is the best way to put it. Um, and it is going to be. Uh, it's gonna be a magical journey this year for trey mancini um and he is going to make my good probably more than he should um but well deserving of it um going forward so um but like i said for this week i'm gonna give it to kevin brown um because it made me happy is the best way to put it jake i'll let you go to the bad
1: i suspect that just like we retired Abaldo uh, Jimenez from not being able to be, be we, ugly. We or was it Chris Davis?
0: I think it was both. I think it was Chris Davis and Abaldo Jimenez. They entered into the ugly category of like we no longer can bring them up. Trey Mancini may be in that good category of being retired, being like, it's amazing what he is doing coming it's off. Just of, assumed he yeah, was good. Yeah, it's just like it's amazing what he's doing coming off of what he went through last year. Um and like I said, I'm gonna try to be as unbiased as possible. Um but man, it is extremely impressive um, to see what he is able to do um, on a major league baseball team like he did on Sunday. Um, and I'll leave
1: it at that. <laughs> All right, uh, I will. I will move on to the bad and the ugly. I will say that you know when we drew up our show notes, the Orioles were three and zero. They were going to win the World Series, and so at that point, you know anything that I say from here now is just you know kind of a nitpick. Um. So I'm going to, again, we might disagree on this, but my bad for the week was Matt Harvey. I was not impressed with his, uh, with his start. Listened to the radio, just just like you said, and they were going out of their way, both KB and Jeff Arnold, talking about, you know, what a strong start it was. And all I could think was, the dude struggled to get into the fifth, and that's just not going to do it. I have watched too much Orioles baseball, where I have made excuses for guys and I don't have to make excuses for a Matt, uh, Matt Harvey who's trying to resurrect his career. Look, I won't want the guy to do well. I want the guy to do well here. But I'm not I'm not going to settle, you know, when he used to be the dark knight for an Alfred, right? Matt Harvey did not have a great start and I hope he has great starts from here on out, but hey, he was up against Zimmerman, he was up against John Means and in comparison, his start innings was bad.
0: Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from. I guess, again, I was a little bit more open for Matt Harvey, um, but I can see why you would classify that as bad. Uh, My bad goes to something that I think we both can agree on, which is rain delays and rain postponements losing out on opening day and having to be pushed back to Friday. I know it's minor in the whole grand scheme of things, and that's why we keep an opening day open on Friday, but man, what a buzzkill that was on Thursday to get woke up and be like, hey, we're finally going to get to watch baseball today. And then at nine o'clock in the morning being told, no, you're not. Boston decided to cancel it because there's a chance of rain and they don't want their fans sitting out in the cold. Seriously? Seriously? We all winter long and that's the decision you make? Very disappointing. Very disappointing.
1: I had a serious case of orange balls that day. Well, and and honestly, did it even rain in Boston? Like, did we see video evidence of it pouring that day? I watched the radar that afternoon and there were spotty
0: showers. They certainly could have played. But again, um, you know, they didn't want their fans out there in that kind of weather. um, is the best way to put it.
1: The only benefit is that I think and I could be wrong on this, but I think the Orioles were like the only game happening. On Friday,
0: yes, uh, the Orioles were the only day game happening, so John Means got a ton of coverage um, on social media because of it, um, which was nice to see. Um, but I would
1: also point out too, like serious case of orange balls, like you said, and like I really wanted baseball on that Thursday. <laughs> Listen, they could have gotten on the train and come down to Camden Yards and played with no rain. Yeah, they could have brought the fans <laughs> with them too. Mm, no, I don't want, I don't want those people in my seats. All right, my ugly for this week. My ugly is going to go to Austin Hayes, and it's the whole package. The injury is really disappointing, and you can't. I mean, you can't hold an injury against a guy. I mean, not even several injuries in a row. I mean, I whined for ages about people holding that against Brian Roberts, so I've I've got to be consistent. So, I mean, let's just go to the play. I mean. He was not impressive at the plate after, you know, what was a strong spring. <sighs> I just I just didn't love it. It was again and I'm nitpicking here because I watched three good wins and then whatever the heck happened in New York. Uh, Austin Hayes, I guess for the first week, what you did was ugly.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you that, um, you know, obviously from an off- offensive performance standpoint, 33 way to run plus is not going to cut it. And again, plate discipline-wise, he was really poor. 40% K rate. Um, Again, only over 10 plate appearances, but he did not look good um, in those plate appearances.
1: And, you know, the strikeouts were one thing, but it, it was all of it together. He Correct. really looked like he was chasing. He really looked like he was chasing, even in at-bats that didn't end up in a K. He just didn't look comfortable, and it was not a good look.
0: Correct. It was almost like the sun was in his eyes or something.
1: <sighs> or
0: something. <laughs> Uh, my ugly is kind of the polar opposite for Cameron brown. i I know a lot of people said this, but Scott Garceau was absolutely atrocious. Um, I got to watch a little bit of it on Sunday um from a TV standpoint because there was a TV being played um at e- at Easter um when we were visiting family for the first time in a year. Uh, I, I just I can't get behind Scott Garceau. Um I tried it last year. Um I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I'm going to have to do what the said his family barbecue suggested is. I will watch the TV, but I'm going to sync it up with the radio just to avoid Scott Carso going forward. It's just, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, And I just, it is so, it's so tough for me because I look at it and I'm like, well, Palmer's there. So like, maybe it'll be okay. But even Palmer seems annoyed by the whole aspect with Scott Carso. Um, And it was almost like, I wonder how long Palmer wants to continue to do this if Scott Carso is um going to be in the booth with him because I think he's <laughs> I think he's aching for Jim Hunter at this point compared to Scott Garceau. Um so I'll I'll be interested to see how this goes. I mean I don't think the Orioles are going to make you know any movements this season, but man, um I don't see anybody that's just like I'm going to turn in to watch Scott Garceau. And I think that has to be at least heard and understood by the organization of why do we have this person being one of our top commentators if it is not an individual that people enjoy listening to?
1: Yeah. Look, great guy. Yeah. I mean, Um, like I said, Baltimore institution, I I like him on the radio. I don't like him in the broadcast. Yeah. Like I said, I just don't, it's
0: just not the right fit for the role. Again, we, we talked about this with announcers and like I said, we've been very lucky um, in Baltimore with announcers um you know obviously gary thorne but you know joe angel fred manfra um you know we just we've had a ton of great folks and just i look at um scott garceau and i'm like eh, like you don't know when's the right time to be quiet you don't know when's the right time to call it there's a split second like issue off when like balls are in play it just doesn't feel right um And like I said, I understand what the Orioles were trying to do, bringing in a personality, um, but it doesn't doesn't fit with what the Orioles are trying to do right now um, in order to try to bring in certain fans is my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I think that the uh, I think being at Camden Yards while the game is happening elsewhere didn't do him any favors, but I don't think the birds coming home is going to save him either.
0: I, I agree with that as well.
1: All right, so that's our good, that's our bad, and that's our ugly. Feel free to let us know on the Twitters what we missed in good, bad, and ugly. Um, And Scotty, I think there's nothing else now but to blow the save. Scott, I want to blow the save for the first time here in the 2020 season or 2021 season, rather, by looking back. I caught a little something in the Orioles subreddit on on uh, Reddit. This came from a user, uh, Romar, with two R's at the end, about Manny Machado talking up his former teammate, J.J. Hardy, on the precipice of Hardy being uh, inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame. I'm super excited about Hardy. Uh, as well as devereau and and joe angel being uh voted into the hall of fame but uh, you know when i look at a guy like jj hardy that's somebody that deserves to be recognized and uh according to this post so too does manny machado i just want to read for you the long quote if i can this is manny machado about jj hardy There is not a person that deserves it more Uh, J.J. Hardy is a true leader, a true competitor, a guy that everybody looked up to in that clubhouse. What he did for that city, what he did for me and that team, it went unnoticed. But the people who were around him day in and day out know that he was the leader of that team. And he went on saying, he taught me everything I know about getting your work done and attention to detail. I brought that over here uh, to the Padres, he means. And it's because I learned that from him. The details are what wins championships. The details are what make you who you are. And that was J.J. Hardy. He wasn't the most flashy guy on the team, but he got every out. He hit the first baseman in the chest every single play. So for him to be inducted in the Orioles Hall of Fame, congratulations to him and his family. It's an honor to be his friend. It's an honor to have played by his side. Uh, That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to hear from a guy like Manny Machado. Uh, you know, some guy like me who's never done anything may think the world of J.J. Hardy. But for somebody like Manny Machado to take a moment to honor J.J. Uh, Hardy, it's just nice to see.
0: Clearly an egotistical guy that doesn't care about other folks, um, you know, all about himself. Um, you know, this is exactly why um, the Orioles need to move away from him and, um, you know, let another team sign him.
1: <laughs> is that the harford county getting out on you
0: absolutely that's the 50 year old white male coming out of me absolutely no question about it
1: <laughs> uh i'm still bummed i am still bummed that we're not going to be able to recognize hardy and the rest uh in some fashion that the uh induction is going to take place uh you know in private so to speak on the 7th but again great to hear from manny machado
0: if only you could get press coverage for that jake
1: <laughs> i think uh i think major league baseball is going to be busy in colorado that day
0: oh, that's a possibility that's a possibility
1: and that that is our show remember you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com birdseyeview is available for download
0: wherever it is you get your podcast subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, stitcher google Podcasts, spotify and many others. If there's a platform that you're using, let us know. Um, please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. It encourages other people to listen for the first time.
1: That's how we know to liberate ourselves from our own naivete. Correct. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at com. You can find us on social media. We're all over the place. Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, only fans. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond. I will bid you all a fun. Adieu,
0: adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Let's go Oaks.